0: going to be a living hope a hope that is alive the apostle paul prayed for the church at ephesus and he prayed that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory that he would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding verse 18 being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. I want you to pay particular attention so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. You and I are called unto a confident living hope. Father... We pray right now and have set ourselves in agreement of touching this word that is about to come forth. We ask for utterance. May your grace and your divine impartations be deposited on the inside of every one of us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We touch this today. We set ourselves in agreement that you will strengthen and that you will breathe hope into each life today. And for this, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and thank you, guys. Let's give our team a great hand. This is their second service. We must understand the power of hope. No matter how much the enemy has come against you, Or is coming against your hope. He cannot take it if you will not let him. Listen. As long as we have hope. As long as you have hope. You have possibilities. Because quite frankly. Everything in this earth is subject to change except him. That'll preach right there. He said in the book of Malachi, he said, I am the Lord. I don't change. And I, and I like, I like the attitude that comes across from the message translation in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without His unfolding grace. These hard times, they're small potatoes. Compared to the good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more than meets the eye for the things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. Oh, but the things we can't see now will last forever. So put your promises, hallelujah, put your hope in the promises that will last forever. Not in the problems that are going to be gone tomorrow. What is hope? We're talking about a living hope, a hope that is a hope that is alive when you and I have hope hope gives us the happy anticipation of good I'm beyond saying something good is about to happen I'm saying something good is happening in my life you how about you you got to put your stake in the ground and say, you know what? Something good's happening to me today, right now. My God is a good God, and great things are coming my way, and they're here to stay. Amen. See, hope in the Greek is an intense expectancy, it's a confident, favorable expectation, looking forward to the future, not looking at the future with despondency, with doom and gloom. But looking at the future with eyes filled with hope. Friends, learn to live that way. With a confident expectancy. You see, hope will fade if you don't keep yourself stirred up. Hope will grow dim. You can become just like the rest of the world. Just bemoaning and groaning their future. All stressed out. All worried about what's coming upon the earth. Or you can be a believer that's stirred up. Flooded and filled with faith. Flooded and filled with hope. Flooded and filled with a confident favorable expectation. Right. Now, I'll tell you why we can have this. Turn me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 3. 1 Peter 1 and 3. Hallelujah. Blessed. Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which according to his abundant mercy. Has begotten us again unto a lively hope. Come on. Unto a living hope. Unto a hope that's alive. Now notice. It is by the resurrection Of Jesus Christ from the dead. My hope is alive. Because he came back from the grave. The message says this. We've been born into a new life. That has a confidence or a hope which is alive. Because Jesus Christ came back to life. So since he came back to life. Guess what? You can have a comeback as well. You can have a comeback in your body. You can have a comeback in your emotions. Listen, don't let a setback cause you to sit back. Prepare ye for a glorious, hopeful comeback. He is the comeback champion of the world. And if he came back, bless God, you can come back. Why? Because, whoo, glory. The same power that raised him from the dead raises you up from a spirit of despondency and gives you a hope for your future. Mm-mm-mm. The comeback champion. The undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe. Jesus Christ, the Son of of the living God. He is alive. I want to shout it from the house tops this Easter season. He is alive. He is alive. Death couldn't hold him down, the grave couldn't hold him back. He came back for you, he came back for me. And I am not about to insult him by saying, Well, I just don't know whether I can pay my bills. Well, I just don't know whether I can make it physically. I don't know whether I can stay married to my wife. Are you kidding me? I've got 35 years of glorious marital bliss. Are you kidding me? I don't know whether I can do this or do that. No, success comes in cans. I can, because of the resurrection from the dead, do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now we're going to be challenged in life. There's going to be difficulties. That's why the Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. Hard times are going to come. But the grace of God and having a hope that will not fade, but having a hope that is alive will help you endure the difficult times. Faced some difficulties last week. But I've seen the God of hope turn things around in 10 minutes. 10 minutes he turned something around. That's because we serve a faithful God. Now David, a man after God's own heart. He experienced difficulty. And for a period of time he had a sad face. He had a sour attitude. And I'd be lying to you today if I told you I hadn't been in that case before in my life you know I've been sour and I've been sweet and sweet is better I've been happy and I've been bummed out i would discovered this it's a whole lot better to be happy see some of you are standing on God's word you're between the amen and the here, here it is I don't know how long you're going to have to wait I'm not God don't ask me But I do know one thing, while you're waiting, you might as well do it with joy. You might just as well do it with a smile on your face, because you're going to wait. Yes, you are, you're going to wait. Let's look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42. So in verse 1 in the Amplified, he says, Why are you cast down, O my inner self, or O my soul? And why should you moan over me and be disquieted within me? David says, I'm going to hope in God. And I am going to wait expectantly for him, for I shall yet praise him, for he is my help, and ye is my God. Now the word disquieted there means to murmur, to groan, to complain, to be troubled, to be agitated, to be in an uproar. You've been there, and I've been there. But we shouldn't stay there. We need to get ourselves back on track. David got out of that setting and got out of that disposition by saying, I shall yet praise him anyhow. I will praise him because God has been good to me. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Read it with me. Oh my God, my life is cast down upon me. And I find the burden more than I can bear. You've been there. There will I earnestly remember. Here's another key. I will remember you from the land of Jordan River and the summons of Mount Ermon from the mountain Mizar. In other words, David says, in the midst of a situation that's difficult, I am not going to lose my hope. I'm going to call to my remembrance all that the Lord has done for me. And that is a major key. You see, it's important to look back and see what the Lord's already done. We sing a song throughout the years here at Heart of the Bay. Look what the Lord has done. Did he heal your body? Did he save you? Did he cause you to pay your bills? Look what the Lord has done. He brought you out of alcoholism and raised you up to be made to sit together with him in heavenly places. He brought you out of difficult situations and put you up upon his rock. Hallelujah. Remember what he's done. Verse 7, roaring deep calls to roaring deep. At the thunder of your water spouts, all your breakers and your rolling waves have gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. There's another key to keeping your hope alive in the midnight hour. Sing songs, sing songs in the midst of the night and the presence of God will envelop you. Verse nine, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Do you see that he's in and out? Do you see that he's having a battle? Any of you ever had a battle? I mean, it's just like, you know, you, you get victory, it seems like, maybe for a half a day, and all of a sudden you get pounded again. So, so David is, is facing this. He, he, he's going through it. But we see some keys to how that David pulled himself out of it. See, Satan's got a pit for everyone. But you don't have to go into the pit. And if you're in the pit, you don't have to stay in the pit. But you're going to have to pull yourself out of it. Notice this. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword crushing in my bones, my enemies taunt and reproach me. While they say continually to me, Where's your God? Where's your God? Taunting you. And there he repeats again, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why should you moan over me and be disquieted me? Now notice this. Hope in God and wait expectantly for him. For I will yet praise him who is the help or the health of my countenance. And you are my God. Now here's something that's important to understand. What does your countenance reveal? My wife can tell exactly what is going on in my life by the look on my face. You know, some people hide it a little bit better. But I'm not one of those who hides it so well. She can tell, you know, if I've been thinking on the wrong things and dwelling on some of the uh, stresses that present themselves to us as ministers of the gospel. She can tell. And I'll tell you, she's such an encouragement and such a blessing. You know, wives, you're to be an encouragement to your husbands. You're not to kick them when they're down or scold them. You're to lift them and to bless them. And husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loves the church. But you see, your your countenance shows up and your face shows what's going on in your life. And David at this particular time, he was sad, he was sour, and yet the next moment he'd be glad. But the summation of it is this, is David made the decision, you know what? I don't care how bad it is I'm going to put my hope in God. I'm looking unto Him who is the author and the finisher of my faith. At the end of the day, my trust, my confidence is in Him. My eyes are on you. Look at Romans chapter 15, if you would, in verse 13. Look at your neighbor and say, pull yourself out of it. I don't know what it is for your life. I know what it is for my life. But it is a constant battle to keep yourself out of it. Amen? But you know what? You can do it. You can do it. Notice with me in Romans 15, verse 13 in the Amplified. And this is my prayer for you as a church and a prayer for myself. May the God of your hope, say it's my hope. May the God of your hope so fill you with joy in peace in believing. Listen, this is a key right here. When you're really operating in God's hope, when it's really alive, you're not going to be standing there like this. You're not going to be trying to force something to happen. Are you? No. There's going to be a Thank you, Lord. There's going to be a smile on your face. I mean, the kids meant just to come in at 3 a.m., but glory to God. You're believing God. You're resting in the Lord. And you know what else is a sign that you're in hope and that your hope is alive? There's a peace. There's just a peace about you that passes up your understanding. So now notice fill us, Lord, with joy and peace and believing that through the experience of you believing God, say it with me, I have the capacity, have the capacity to, believe God. to believe God. And I do and I, do. And I shall, and I shall believe, God. believe God. So through the experience of your faith, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I just love this, you may abound and be overflowing, <laughs> bubbling over with hope. Bubbling over. I mean, there ought to be an overflow of confident, favorable expectation out of your life. To our people that are around you, maybe they're a little bit despondent. Maybe they're going through a difficult time. But you become an encouragement to them. You let them know, you know what? It ain't so bad. God's still on the throne. You may have lost the first inning, but guess what? The second inning's coming up. And you know what? We don't play nine inning games. Amen? Amen. It's our bat. It's our ball. Our father's the empire. We play till we win. Bubbling over. Say it with me I'm bubbling over over. with joy joy. and peace. So I said, Well, Pastor Mark, you know, I've, I've lost my joy. I've lost my joy. Well, you can find it again. You ever lost your keys? You ever lost your wallet? How about your phone? I've lost them all. Thank God for a great wife. She never gets stressed out. You know, I'll I'll say, gosh, I don't know where my phone is. I need my phone, you know, and yield into that. And she said, I know where it's at. How do you know where it's at? She goes to my car. Say, I have a black interior in my car. And my phone is black. My wallet is back. She says, it's in your car. I said, no, it's not. Five minutes later... Here it is. My point is this. Listen, guys. If you've lost something, you can find it again. And if you've lost your joy and you become a little oppressed and a little depressed, you can get back up again. You don't have to stay down. You can get back up. You can find your joy again in His Word. You can find His joy again with fellowship and with other people by following the plan of God. You see, a lot of people lose their joy because they put it in the wrong place. Maybe they put it in their 401k like Brenda said, or they they put their joy in a relationship. Listen, this joy that we have, the world didn't give it. And the world can't take it away. This joy that we have is found in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know what? If you really, really want to maintain your joy, be like Abraham. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Abraham had a promise. We have promises. In Romans the 4th chapter and the 20th verse, here's what Abraham said of him. No unbelief or distrust made Abraham waver or doubtingly question concerning the promise of God. Now here is a major key. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith. Question mark. Can you get stronger in your walk of faith? Can our hope get stronger? Absolutely can. You see, when all hope was gone for Abraham, the Bible says he believed in hope. Natural hope was gone, but he plugged into a supernatural hope. According to the word of God. And so it says that Abraham grew strong and he was empowered by faith. Now here was one key. Read the rest with me. As he gave praise and glory to God. There is something about praise. There's something about an attitude of gratitude that strengthens you. I know that I am stronger today than I was 20 years ago. And much of it is because of the tests and the temptations and the trials I've been through. You know, if there's never a test, there's not ever a testimony. Now, you can go through a test and fail it, like I did in high school a few times. You can go through a test and fail it, but shh, mark it down, you're going to take that test again. And sometimes I, I you know, sometimes we you can you can just feel the, 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 the pressures of this and the pressures of that. But you know what that pressure does? It squeezes you and it brings out what's really on the inside of you. And if you've been taking time to nurture your spirit and to develop your spirit and to train your spirit, you're not afraid of the test because you know in him you're strong and in the power of his might. And so whatever presses you and whatever pushes you is going to bring out what's on the inside of you. You know what's on the inside of you? You got a winner on the inside of you. Greater is he that's in you. Than he that's in the world. You've got the champion. Living in you. So we've been through some difficult times. We've been through some tests. But we've come out shining. Why is that? Because of the goodness. Of almighty God. Say with me I'm a praiser. And I'm growing stronger. In him. Now. This concept of waiting, you know, David said it over and over again, wait for, look for, and expect. This concept of waiting, when we're waiting on God, it's something that we must do with a good attitude. Is that right? With a good attitude. We don't have time to be bitter. We don't have time to be resentful. We don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves. Look at James chapter 1, verse 8. See, the Bible over and over again instructs us to be single-minded, not to be double-minded. The Bible says in King James that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now in the Amplified it says, for he being a man of two minds, two minds, that's wavering, hesitating, dubious, as resolute. He is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks and feels and decides. So if you are one that has gotten double-minded and you have two minds, you need to look straight ahead. Keep looking at the promise. It's difficult to do, but if you'll train yourself, by God's grace you can do it. Be single-minded while you're waiting. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are standing on God's Word, believing for something that you see in the Word that belongs to you? That's just about 100%. Okay? So, I believe what the Spirit of the Lord is encouraging us in this morning, if we're going to keep our hope alive, we must be consistent in our believing. Consistent in our believing consistency is a key that will bring results now now I'm not here to uh, get everybody on a diet okay but how many of you have ever been on a diet before how many have ever failed a diet before I'll raise both hands now Brenda uh, left town a while back and went down to John and Lindy's down there in Southern California and And uh, she said something before she left that just kind of went off down on the inside of me about her sister had lost weight. And she said this is how she did it. And so I said, you know what? I'd like to lose a few pounds. No, I'm not obese, okay? I work out, you know, four or five times a week. And uh, I like to keep myself in good shape. And the reason why I like to keep myself in good shape is because my body's His temple. And, you know, when you get a little... five or ten extra pounds on your body, when you're up here, it really makes a difference. It really does. And so I want to be in shape to the best I can at 62 years old because I want to be able to do what I'm doing by the grace of God until either the trumpet sounds or until God says it's enough. Okay? So I I like to keep myself in shape. So she said something to me that... That kind of went off on the inside of me. So she was gone a few days. And so by the time she came back, I'd lost three or four pounds. And I'm strutting in the living room, you know. (laughs) And uh, I was real proud of it. That went on for about three days. You can burn six, seven hundred calories off in a workout, and if you eat 5,000, you ain't going to lose nothing. See, so that's been my battle in the area of diet, a lack of consistency, okay? Well, Brenda went on some little program, and she's not big, I mean, she's a beautiful gal, but, you know, she wanted to lose a few pounds. So she went on this little program, and I'm telling you what, she's been consistent with it. And every time she weighs in, she'll come home on Thursday morning and say, I lost another pound. And I'm saying, well, good for you. But, but consistency. Consistency. If, how many of you want to be debt-free? The rest of you don't? Okay. All right. You want to be debt-free, right? <laughs> okay. Well... You're never going to get there if you keep using your charge card. Because right. you know what? That comes due every month. Right. And if you're not able to pay off what you've charged, then you're going to go further in debt. Right. And the further in debt you go, the more interest builds up and the more of a roller coaster it becomes. Right. So I know people that are debt-free, but they didn't get there by just all of a sudden waking up warm one morning and say, Ha! Voila! I'm debt-free. <laughs> No, they disciplined themselves. And they were consistent in that. And they did the things that you do to get debt free. So consistency is where the power is. Now, in your believing, in your waiting, in your expecting, you can't afford to have a sour attitude one day and a good attitude the next day. It's like in your relationship. How many of you know That relationship repair happens as you work on it. You know, when you say, I do, and then you start treating your wife not like Christ treats the church, guess what? Your marriage is going downhill. If you do not work on your relationships, whether you've been married 35 years like Brenda and I have, or you have been married 35 minutes, if you do not work at it, you will begin to experience debt in your marriage. There will be a deficit. Are you listening to me? Willard Harley, years ago, wrote a book called His Needs and Her Needs. This is a Christian psychologist. And one of the things that he used as an illustration in that book was, is that we all, in a sense, in relationships, we have a love bank. Your marriage has a love bank. And in your love bank, you can make deposits. I guarantee you, when I go shopping with Brenda and buy her jewelry, it's a big deposit. <laughs> when I hold her hand in the mall and I put my loving arms around her, it's a major deposit. You see, you need to learn the love language of your wife and then do it. Any marriage, a friendship, it can't just be all take. Friendships have got to be give and give. And so consistency is where the power lies. If I consistently love my wife like Christ loves the church and if she reverences me like she does and is supposed to and respects me and admires me and reveres me and and all those things. Woo, man! We've got some holy fireworks happening in the house. Now, I don't drink wine and I don't drink beer and I'm using this just for an illustration. How do you impress a woman? Wine her, dine her, call her. Uh, hug her, support her, hold her, surprise her, compliment her, smile at her, listen to her, cry with her, romance her, believe her, cuddle with her, shop with her, give her jewelry, buy her flowers, hold her hand, write love letters in the sand to her. Go to the end of the earth. And come back again for her. Is that true, ladies? Yes. Now, wires, here's how you impress your husband. This is a little graphic. Show up naked and bring some food. Anyway. I mean... We need a little humor in the house from time to time, right? All right. Consistency is where the power is. (laughs) All right. Back to Romans chapter 8. Come on now. Don't leave me now. Romans the 8th chapter. Wait on the Lord. Hallelujah. Actually, look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Maintain a lively hope. Maintain a lively hope. And here is a key right here. But those who wait for the Lord, this is how you do it. Expect, look for, and hope in Him. They're the ones that shall change and renew their strength and their power. They're the ones that will lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not become tired. What I see in here is this, is waiting on God is not passive. When you're really waiting on God and you're keeping your hope alive, here's what you're doing. Your spirit man is engaged. You're excited, you're expecting, you're seeing by the eye of faith, God moving on your behalf. Somebody said, but pastor, you've been waiting a whole year. What if I've been waiting five years? You know, the bottom line is this, my times are in his hand. You may not always see God coming, but you sure enough know when He's been there. Amen? Amen. And so, the context of what I'm saying to you this morning is learn to wait with the right attitude. Learn to look and to expect believing, and you will get your answer. You will get your strength renewed. Notice it doesn't say they that wait upon the Lord with a negative attitude, with a critical confession, with a sour face and full of self-pity. It doesn't say those that wait in fear. A living hope has no fear in it. A confident hope has no criticism to it. A living hope is a hope that's filled with expectancy For God to move and God to act. The question I have for you this morning is this. How have you been waiting? How have you been waiting? And if you've been waiting the wrong way, guess what? You can change the way you've been waiting. You can change the way you've been waiting. How many of you have ever been out to a, or taking your wife out or a good friend out to a real good meal? You know what I'm saying? I mean a good meal. Like House of Prime Rib Good Meal. House of Prime Rib is where the 49ers offensive line eats their prime rib, and it's where Pastor Mark eats at least twice a year. It's almost time to go so I can talk about food. You don't go to a buffet line, the buffet line comes to you. And they open up this huge thing and they start carving your meat just the way you want it. And then they pour a little gravy on your... You know what I'm saying. (laughs) On the mashed potatoes. No. It's worth the wait. Now, there's been times where we've gone there and we haven't had a reservation. And, uh, you know, they'll get you a table if you're patient enough to wait. But if I go to a nice restaurant without a reservation... And I start applying the pressure on the meter D and start acting like I'm all that. Don't you know who you're gonna be serving? I'm the bishop by the bay. The the, 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 the bishop by the what <laughs> And go to the airport with a haughty attitude. They're running late. They can't help it sometimes. I mean, who do you really think you are? You're not better than anybody. You're a child of God. But if I apply pressure to the mater D and start acting like I'm all that, say, so we've been waiting here 10 minutes, you know what? I may go to the bottom of the list because it's not waiting with composure. And it's not waiting patiently. And it's not waiting with a right attitude. Nobody wants to be around a person with a wrong spirit. Nobody wants to be around a person with an attitude of, you know, you owe me something. And while I'm at it, I think America needs to get rid of that attitude that the government owes us something. You see... Government, well, I better not go too far in this, but government is not our God. God is our God. Now, the government needs our prayer. They don't need to be criticized. Listen, they've been criticized here, criticized there. They've been criticized by experts. The only thing that's going to change this nation is the righteousness in this nation rising up and praying and believing God and being salt and being light and being awakening. Why does any politician make a bad decision? They make bad decisions because they're listening to the wrong voice. I don't care whether it's a Democrat, a Republican, or a totlin pade. We are to honor the king. Whether you voted for him or not, you are to honor him. You don't have to agree with everything Him says or Him does. But you honor the office. I'm not going to badmouth my nation. I'm not going to badmouth the economy. I'm not going to badmouth the low, empl- low employment rate. What I am going to do, I'm going to God mouth. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to believe God for the goodness of God to show up in the land that I live. I didn't mean to get into all that, but jeepers, creepers, it's true. How have you been waiting? How have you been waiting? If Mater d's are turned off by our lousy attitudes, don't you know that your heavenly Father, it just kind of... See, the Bible says that He gives more grace to the humble. But what if you're not humble? He resists the proud so our waiting can't be done in pride because we deserve something we don't deserve anything That's right. That's right. we deserve hell yeah. That's right. we are graced because he is good and because he is God and so tap into the grace with your faith and believe you receive but while you're waiting between the amen and the here it is make sure that you do it with composure amen And you do it with patience. And you do it with the right attitude. You guys getting this today? I think you are. Last scripture, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8th chapter. This is so vital. And uh, this theme here that we're going to be working on next Sunday. And then Easter Sunday is a living hope. Alive, 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 alive forevermore. That's what my hope is. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've been times where I've felt despondent. You? Yes. You know, looking at this and looking at that. That's why we are to have a single mind. Yes. Amen. Let me just give you a little illustration of it. The other day, uh, we had some major damage on the parking lot here. Actually, some thieves came in and stole some copper. And uh, we just found out about it. And uh, it turns out to be about 30 of our lamps, 30 of our lights. And uh, so we have a great insurance company by the name of Church Mutual. They go out of their way to help us. And we pay about $10,000 a year uh, for insurance, for premium. Um, We have to be covered, you know, for a lot of different areas as a church. And, uh, you know, I'm just thanking God that the lights weren't on when they stole the copper. Otherwise, they'd be fried crispy. And uh, and so you know I'm I'm sitting on the couch just minding my own business now, having a cup. You know what I'm saying? Having a cup of Pete's French roast. Can I get a witness out there? And uh, you know Thursday morning I I preach my heart out. On Wednesday night I'm preaching on the armor God. I put everything into it, man. There can be three people here. I'm preaching like I'm preaching to five thousand. That's just yeah. my, that's just how we do. And, uh, you know, I'd like to stand up and here and say, I'm your man of faith and power, but there are days I feel like the man of paste and flour. <laughs> so, I've been dealing with a lot of this stuff, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, so I've had to take on certain responsibilities that I haven't had to do for years, and of course, Pastor Tom helps me and so forth, and. You know, ran out and got some estimates, did this, did that, and the other, you know. And uh, so total damage is about,, yeah, between 20 and 25,000 dollars. And so I got Ingrid Robinson to call up Church Mitchell and to work with them, and Church Mitchell said, uh, "You were sitting there having coffee?" And uh, they said, "Well, I call Ingrid up in the morning. said, "How are you doing, Ingrid?" She says, "Not so good." I said, "Not feeling good today." Ingrid is our administrator. She works with our auditors and everybody. She's a sharp, sharp, sharp lady. No, no, she said, I just heard from Church Mutual and they only cover us for $5,000. And so the man of paste and flour hung the phone up. And I started laughing, but then I started thinking. See, laughing was the right thing to do, but thinking was the wrong thing to do. And I let a couple things come out of my mouth. Now, they weren't cuss words. (laughs) But I want you to see that I live where you live. I'm anointed to preach this, not necessarily anointed to live it. But one thing I do do when I miss it, I make quick adjustments. And you can do the same thing. So I said a couple things and Brenda said, favor! She had Starbucks. It might have been a little stronger than mine. (laughs) And she she says, no, we're not going there. I said, yeah, we're not. Yeah, amen. (laughs) We're not going there. They've made a mistake. Have luck again. What's their names anyway? I'll call them myself. (laughs) Ten minutes later, it's Ingrid. Ah, they made a mistake. You're covered up to (laughs) 25,000. So. Hallelujah. So when one is tempted to be a little down, the other's up. When she's tempted to be a little down, I'm up. And we balance each other out right. Now listen. Adjustments are so important in this. Because it's, it's, it's so subtle, and it's so easy to get off course. Yeah, that's right. Now, I don't know how many people are here this morning, but I would say this, that all of us would probably love to go on a tour of Israel together, right? Oh, yeah. So let's just say, for <laughs> illustration's sake, that this afternoon at 5 p.m., we're flying out of SFO uh, to, what's the city in Israel we flew into? Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv. And we're going up there together as a church, and Pastor Tom's going to take us on a tour and teach us about all the ins and outs of Israel. Our tour guide. And we're going to eat falafels. We're going to have a big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But you know, the pilot gets on, and he's a little fuzzy. And he says, "You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put it on autopilot today. I I don't. I need to. You know, I need to relax." So, he thinks he puts it on the right settings, but he's about this far off. And instead of ending up in, what's that city, Tel Aviv? We end up in Iran. Well, I ain't going to Iran. Unless the Lord leads me to go to Iran. All right? But just a little, little bit off course, you can end up in the wrong destination. Our faith instruments need to be tweaked daily. Because sometimes we get a little off, get it back. Look at circumstances, looking unto Jesus. And the more that we can develop in this, the stronger we will get in it, the more our hope will be alive, and the more composure that you and I will have to live a victorious life. In Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25. I know I'm preaching good today. By the grace of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25. It says, For in this hope we are saved. Aren't you glad you're saved? But hope the object of which is seen is not hope. For how can one hope for what he already sees? But if we hope for what is still unseen. How many of you are hoping for the unseen yet? But if we hope for what is still unseen by us... Now notice, we wait for it with patience and what? There's that word, composure. What is composure? Composure simply means that our emotions are under control. We are composed. I have made the decision that in my little life, until Jesus comes back for me or I get raptured, In my life. That feelings do not control me. But I will control my feelings. There's a lot that I haven't seen out here yet. But as long as I can see it in here. My hope is intact. And my hope is alive. And it's the same thing with you. There's things that need to change out here. But see it down here. And it won't be long before your answer comes. Is that okay for you today? Let's all stand to our feet. Hallelujah.